Hello, Coaching Buenas. I'm really excited to be bringing you episode 28 of season 5 of Radio Cachimbona. Radio Cachimbona is an abolitionist podcast that audio archives state repression and fierce migrant resistance in the southern Arizona borderlands and breaks down case law and politics from a leftist perspective. As a first-generation professional whose parents are Salvadoran immigrants, Yvette prioritizes uplifting the voices and histories of Central Americans. This interview was truly such an honor for me to do because I interviewed the amazing Salvadoran author, Carolina Escamilla Rivera, about her book of short stories, After, which is about an adolescent coming of age during the Salvadoran Civil War. We discussed how Rivera composted her own memories to communicate what was happening in El Salvador in the 70s and 80s, the role that theater played in the fight for a better world, and how she balanced the climate of disinformation in El Salvador that was rampant during the time, while also accurately portraying leftist resistance to the government. If you want to support the podcast, the best way is to become a patron for five to ten dollars a month. You will get exclusive access to the lit reviews, which are book club style chats with fierce women of color. Right now, I'm currently reading Critical Race Consciousness by Gary Peller and thinking through how critical race theorists have critiqued equal protection jurisprudence of the 14th Amendment. And I'll be discussing that with Tara Rainey. So I'm super excited about that. Also, you can support 100% free way in a 100% free way by leaving an Apple podcast rating a review. I was super stoked that this month for Latina Heritage Month, Radio Cachipona was featured by Apple Podcasts in their TBH Culture Collection. This is actually the last day that it will be up, so please check it out. I'll put a, sh- a link in the show notes. Thank you to everyone who has left reviews recently. Uh, like I said, it really helps with visibil- visibility, and I think that, that you know, the feature bore, bore that out. So thank you so much for that. You can also follow at Radio Cachimbona on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can follow my Yvette Borja's legal journalism for Balls and Strikes, at Eva Borja AZ on Twitter. And I think that's it. I hope that you all enjoy this interview. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much, Camila Rivera's Camilla, for coming onto the podcast. You talk about your book of short stories called After, which is a book of short stories about a woman who is coming of age during the Salvador Civil War and the intergenerational trauma that comes with that. In the praise for your book, Arturo Arias says that you, quote, compost memory in these short stories. To what extent are these short stories inspired by your own experiences growing up in El Salvador? There are clearly parallels to your own life, like your father, who is a master builder. The protagonist attends art school. You attended art school. So wanted to ask that first. Of course. Yeah. Any writer, you know, the writes, I mean, is composed characters. I mean, you write about what is around you, what mm-hmm. your circumstances, you know, you are around. 
And then you take all this material, you take all that, and then you kind of started putting it together like any other artist, right? A painter mm -hmm. or, or a theater person, like I'm a theater also. Uh, we take things and we make kind of collages with all that and we compose that. Like, uh, yeah, of course, yeah, there are things that, that uh, really are relevant the stories to my life as a mm -hmm. teenager and as a child too, because the stories come from our family, from, you know, grandmothers and mothers and fathers, brothers, sister, friends. So, I, yeah, of course, I would say that it is a composed characters. Okay. okay the echoes, yeah. the echoes, yeah, the echoes in some ways my life, yeah, and the life of my family or friends and everyone is around me. Okay, that makes sense. In Alma at about 4.30 in the afternoon, you write about the students taking over the cathedral, demanding a better education. Their efforts and how they played into the war are underdocumented, especially when it comes to theater and art students. Like I loved the scenes in, I'm not sure if it was in the short story or others, where you talked about how there was theater students who were going out and putting on plays for children to try and transmit revolutionary ideas through performances um, and how to really known about that or thought about that before. So wanted to ask for you to speak a bit more on what role did these students play in agitating or resisting the government leading up to and during the Civil War? Art in Latin America, you know, is political, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We have to remember that the art school in El Salvador, it was only one art school in the whole country. Actually, the artists are the ones that they will speak up all the time. And we're talking about this was a high school, the art school. Theater people, I mean, the theater always was very involved in coming to speak about, to protest, right? And it doesn't mean that, that, that the teacher would tell you and all that, but it was, I, I remember there was the moment, I mean, and this is very parallel where, where uh, you know, my life, I, I arrived at the art school in the moment where the war, war broke out, right? Okay. I mean, uh, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, students were part of, uh, of the whole many, many students, especially those ones that came, uh, you know, that we grew up with parents that they were coming, always protesting like my parents, right? I mean, they always were protesting on the street since uh, I remember maybe I was four or five years old. So it was easy for me to come to the other school. And, um, and I remember, yeah, the cathedral was taken many times from what I remember is uh, there were many students that they were coming from the other school. And um, actually, I tried to sneak around and go myself inside too, yeah. So it, it is. Uh, it was part. It was part of the of the whole environment and the moment and the circumstances to go and protest. I mean, we were being repressed, and so I I actually I took all these memories and uh, you know and people that disappeared, friends that I lost were mm -hmm. killed or taken to prison. So mm -hmm. I put it all this theater. Theater was uh, actually very very effervescent. You know, very active in the moment. In the wow. Yeah. And I'm sure, I mean, uh, I would say all Latin America. Yeah. Mm. But El Salvador in that time was very, uh, it's something that, that was very active and we were part of it. I love that. Did theater groups play roles in political education, like the scene that you had where the theater was putting on plays, trying to spread a political message? 
Well, it was actually this. Um, yeah, this scene um, is part of. Uh, yeah, they, they were. I mean, you kind of call, you were um, uh, presenting what a moment you were living, right? Mm-hmm. And in this case, actually, the story, the play is for children, actually. Yes. And, yes. Uh, I, yes. <laughs> yeah, the play is for children, and the actors are presenting these characters like a super Pancho which is the character that is against Batman and Superman and all these kind of characters that we see it as a children, that we have all this American television, North Americana, you know, United States. Mm-hmm. So it was about giving uh, that kind of uh, message to children and the, and the mothers and families that, you know, that we have heroes uh, also. Uh, you know, we have heroes in Salvador and uh, the hero is your father. You're the, the mm. person who goes to work. I mean, the mother who is a peasant working on the fields. So that was the whole idea. And of course, yeah, the witch, which is La Bruja, the witch is the government, right? Who's stealing yeah. the candies from the children. So of course, yeah, there is a message. <laughs> yeah, it is a message there where it's telling, you know what, let's open up our eyes. And it might have been, a, a, I mean, in the in the story, um, I tried to 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 write, uh, you know, all these places that I remember from that time, and it's a camouflage, you know, the children uh, theater in order to connect with the adults, but through the children, and also not to be, uh, you know, but anyway, the militaries and soldiers that were always around, right? So, yeah. but theater was a medium, a theater was a tool, really, a tool to communicate what was happening in El Salvador during the, yeah, in the 70s and the 80s. Mm-hmm. What sustained and motivated these actors amidst the serious material need and hunger that existed and how did they, you know, prioritize that when there was so much serious material need happening? Stay motivated and um, to do interior? Yeah. This, I mean, since I, um, many, the actors that I met in the theater school and the art school, um they were i mean we were there i mean we were there every day and what motivated us was actually remember i'm telling you that there was only one art school in the country and uh and uh, And it was a high school it was a high school actually but it was the education that was in that school was uh uh, really compared to university in a way right Mm -hmm. because i came to university and theater classes and i'm like you know i just Really, there were no any difference. Mm. And um, so what motivated us was to continue to, you know, to do theater in the country, but also something that you do in high school. You are 17, 16, 18, so you're supposed to do the classes. But motivating during theater is, in that moment, specifically in the book, I mean, there is a short story, right? And the short story, the actors are involved with about changing the, the country, changing yeah. the system, changing the situation that where we were in the moment, that it was repression, right? right? So doing the theater was a motivation to go out and speak up, yeah. And now, you know, there were a lot of dangerous and uh, risk, yeah. yeah. But in the moment, you are uh, very uh, embedded. I mean, you, you are, uh, in, how I can say, very engaged and yeah. with your heart with your soul, with everything to make a place, to make that country to become something, um, something else. I remember yeah. in the time we used to say, 
Viva la URSS, you know, Russia and all that. And um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I remember. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you saying that about how they were ultimately, through their plays, they were fighting for a better world and one where there wouldn't be hunger and there wouldn't be poverty. And so, you know, I think sometimes people think that art is something extraneous or something superfluous, something that we can do away with without a lot of harm happening. And, you know, I appreciate that in the book, you highlight how even during these times of literal crisis, of literal war, there are people who continue to put on theater because it is a political medium and it is really important for fighting for a better world. So I really appreciate you kind of teasing that out for us. Yes, and um, one thing I want to to share with you is that in the time, I mean, and, and I wanted to portray that in the book because there are not many stories or not many people writing about the, the yeah. time, especially as a woman, you know. Yeah. Also that it was our, uh, I remember when I was in the art school, it wasn't, it was also about uh, going out there and presenting the theater, the place that we were doing and all that, and um, but also quality you know what I mean yeah if it would have been something pamphlet but uh it was quality of work also Mm -hmm. that you just don't want to put it uh, like a whatever there but it was something that we did work there were pop-ups I mean uh, there but uh, in this case I mean it was really well crafted Mm, like this the set yes yeah yes exactly I mean um in that time I remember we were studying also uh Stanislavski, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, the whole mythology of theater, I mean, was very based on Argentinian and also Russians. And uh, so uh, I mean, it was a very beautiful, I was, I remember, beautiful time that we lost, actually. Yeah, we lost on that. Oh, really? During the war? During the war, I mean, it was, uh, yeah, because the art school was closed. Yeah, right. the, the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. The soldiers came and um, and they destroyed everything and the whole right. school was destroyed. There was so much confusion during the war about who was on whose side and what each side was fighting for. How did you balance having the characters reflect that reality? Like I, you know, there's some, I think the mother character of one of Alma's friends is saying, you know, I don't know who's actually bad. It kind of seems like everybody has a mask on, but also reflecting what the guerrilla resistance was was doing because that was kind of what was happening in that short story. It's like there was this mother who had these preconceived notions and then there was the reader taking, you know, going through Alma's journey and then seeing kind of what the Gidea resistance was actually doing. So how did you balance that? Yeah, very good question. Yeah, this is something that someone else asking me about. And I wanted it to be actually when I was writing the stories and all that, I wanted it to be balanced too. I wanted yeah. to be, you know, the character speaking, no mind, uh, political uh, view. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I wanted the, the characters. And in this case, I mean, there was, remember that I'm telling you this composed characters and I, I was listening all these things. I mean, when I started writing. Yeah. And um, the character, yeah, the mother says about that when she goes places and all that, and when she's going back home. And people talking about that they are bandits uh, or that they yes. are this and all that, right? Mm-hmm. So they, there is a big, conf- I mean, there is a lot of confusing uh, time 
about who are really, but then she say, you know, there are people who come and they're really nice to us and all that, but they don't, they are not violent to us, but there is the bandit that they are. Because there was a moment, I remember uh, um, in the 80s, actually 79, 80s, 81, there was this moment that the, um, that they were, they, they were also people taking advantage like any other one that yeah. you know like uh and they were have been part also of the of, of the whole system political military system right to put bandits to confuse people oh, in that yeah. regard, right? Right, right so right. that's what i might that put the character there because i in the way is balanced to the whole story how confusing time was i mean for these people and also for the adolescent children you know we were children right so to the adolescent people so I like this kind of uh, balance I give it in, and I know otherwise I mean because when I was writing the story I just wanted to be true to the moment in yeah. the time the confusion of you know how confused it was mm-hmm. yeah yeah I appreciate you drawing out that nuance in the short story the wall what did the wall represent around the house Actually, the wall, in a way, represents prosperity. I mean, okay, <laughs> because, yeah. be, but also family, right? Because it's the the wall is the, that is the only wall that is made of brick. The other yeah. ones are corrugated, right? So, in a way, it is like a, the character in the story. She take they all take care of the the, the wall. Yeah, you know? and yes. uh, so it's, they like it's about feed it family. like when they were right. children. <laughs> they feed the wall. It's a cute wall. I mean, nice wall. It's a brick wall, and um, the family, everything that is important goes on that wall. So it represents family. It represents that. It represents mm-hmm. family, but not just any family. I mean, the family from these poor areas. You know that that um, like the friend Candy come uh, Candy comes to uh, to play. They let him to play with the wall because she only has corrugated wall metal, right? Mm-hmm. Metal wall. So actually, that story it was before it became a story. It was a monologue. Uh, oh, which okay. I did here in Los Angeles, just like a theater piece. Uh-huh. So I play a lot with that. I kind of take monologues or from the monologue, monologues, they become stories. So from the stories, they become monologues, you know, that kind of. Uh, so the world, yeah, the world represents. But this is something that I would say, I mean, I think it, many students who have read the story because they, the book is taught in different uh, schools and mm-hmm. um, university. And I want that they take their own part. You know, what do you really? I don't. I usually I don't like to explain. It, uh, um, but uh, since you're asking me, I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't like explain because each one person we have, uh, each reader we have, uh, you know, their own uh, taking on it, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember when I was writing, it represents a lot of stuff. I mean, I was thinking about those children who live in those poor areas. Mm-hmm. Which always dreaming with a uh, with a better house, yeah. Dreaming with better walls that they can, uh, you know, feeling like uh, they really what is a real house, right? Right, 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 mm-hmm. right. What is the red old man, <laughs> and ah. what? <laughs> And what does it say about the collective understanding of menstruation in the Salvador? That's interesting because a teacher, I mean, um, she shared an essay from a student long time ago, and um, and he put like a communist. Yeah, 
<laughs> and uh, uh, because I guess he was reading all the stories and it's political, but it comes to that this one, right? And he made yeah. it political, actually. Like, you know, the yeah. communists is repressing. Oh my God, okay. And like, uh, uh, oh my God, I say that's kind of a lot, yeah. But uh, at the end, he does come, I mean, with the administration and all that, and he put it like it was the man, yeah. And, um, yeah, well, that this does. It's a very clear, but it's not only about menstruation. It's about the, okay. the oppression of women. I mean, like yeah. uh, in that moment, in that time, and the whole what they don't tell us, what they don't say, yes. you know, yeah. which is about, I mean, the little girl, I mean, in the story that the preteen character, I mean, she invented her herself the whole story on her own because there is no one to tell her, uh, I mean, what is really what's going to scare you, you know, mm-hmm. scaring. Uh, and I understand, I mean, so many other students have read or some other people have read. I mean, it depends what age, what country, what, uh, and I think that person who say that, that it was something about from Iraq, I think, or from something like that, the students from Iraq. So it depends on how you would take it. Yeah. Uh, but when I was writing that, it, I mean, I remember, I mean, putting myself there again. I'm, I'm also my friends, all that, uh, mm-hmm. that where we lived or people that I met in the schools and all that, the girls. And um, we never spoke about, you know, even to say Cotex was not all right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's very so, scandalous. Exactly. It was like, oh my God, this is no. Yeah. Yes. And so that's why I brought it this, but, uh, it's a metaphor, yeah. It's some, yeah. it's some very metaphorically, yeah. Why is it that the red old man had two faces? Yeah, which is the two faces of, uh, and actually that goes with the women, right? Okay, yeah, that's what I thought, yeah, about how women also perpetuate patriarchy. Exactly, yeah. Well, that's very great, the way you put it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing that you, you put, yeah. Yeah, that's what that, but in, uh, you know, as a writer, I mean, when I write the stories, I can, I never really uh, thinking about all this. I just write, you know, but I never think about like what you just say now. I never thought about that, that you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was what came out really strongly in the story because like the Ayita felt like a woman who perpetuates patriarchy, you know, like she kind she polices Teresa and she, she was a really good example of that. Like I could see like the red old man, like one of the faces being the Aita's face. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That, that what it is. Yeah. Because we uh, betray ourselves as a women. Yeah. But it's something that they don't, I mean, we, we can talk about this now. I mean, uh, but I mean, you know, in the time and the circumstances where you are in the place and the space and the time where you are, I mean, it's, there was no way to, to really, come up with all these things that we now <laughs> say yeah 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 there wasn't a language for it to challenge there was it. not that language yeah. that language is a power yep in your story the funeral the protagonist is speaking with her father who tells her that it is illegal to sell alcohol was that a policy during that time well, uh, yeah, 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 oh, because okay. um, the the story is, uh, yeah, the father is saying, Psh, quiet, you know, yeah, because the woman is selling alcohol, yeah, the chicha, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was not, um, and that story, I mean, uh, the little girl is the character, yeah, that they go to the funeral, right? Yeah, 
but uh, yeah, it was in uh, it was it was prohibited. Mm -hmm. Was that is that like because of Catholicism or is what was a business? I mean, because I'm sure if somebody else had a business, right? It was all about the patriarchal and the colonialism in a way. I mean, who owns the land? Who owns that? They don't let the uh, peasant who really they are the one, you know, with the corn, the pineapples and all that uh, fields. I mean, mm -hmm. the growth of their own piece of dirt that they have, right? They cannot do that. Yeah. And wow. I guess I'm sure it's a lot of other things, right? Mm-hmm. In the stories, the protagonist family travels to Mexico and the U.S., and they pass through Chiapas and Tapachula. They end up not having enough money to finish the journey and they have to return home. And I was struck by how the migrant routes that people continue to use today are the same ones that were used in the 80s. And also the policing of Central American migrants by Mexican police was happening back then as well. So wanted to ask if you see similarities to migrant routes and treatment by Mexican police then and now. Well, yeah, no, it's not the same, I don't think, because this family, they took a trip for vacation. Oh. So in their mind, they was never really thinking about immigrating to the north. Okay. They were just having fun. They took a, oh, a Semana okay, Santa, okay. right? And uh, yeah. they were going. And uh, so things were very different, even in El Salvador, the approach that we were not planning to really immigrate in any way, I mm. mean, to United States. The, this family, actually, that's a very interesting because I went to Mississippi State University mm -hmm. and some of the students, most of them are Anglos, and um, they asked me, so that means the Salvadorians, they really, they were not all the time uh, immigrants. I mean, that they didn't have that to, you know, that, that dreaming to immigrate here and all that. And so they were not dream, actually, I said, they, dream, mm -hmm. they, they came because of the United States sending all those mm, millions and millions to El Salvador, to the military aid. And uh, but she said, but this family is just uh, going to visit. Uh, you coming to to Mexico like a vacation? And I say, right. They say so. And this family is not rich. This mm -hmm. family is not. This family has some money, and they decide to to the father decide to take and go to. Uh, and that story is about yeah. It's it's about that. You know, it was easy to enter to Mexico, and mm. also um, there is no any way that they were thinking about. Uh, coming to United States. It was about going to Mexico to visit. I guess I, because they, I, there was like a huge ceremony of the neighbors all gathering up and saying bye. And then they were like, we'll, we'll get one of the Beatles to come for you. So I thought that, that they were on that, they were trying to get to the U.S., but um, I El Zorro, El Zorro too, yeah. Yeah. But I also, I, you know, was an immigration lawyer for a long time. My parents immigrated to the U.S. So I think I just have, from El Salvador, and so I think that's why I just have that, that, that perspective. Experience, exactly, yeah. that perspective. But no, 
Yeah, and the story is about that it's the first family who take a trip to Mexico to Mexico in a, in a car. Okay. And also, uh, I think the story is about like they going to the moon, you know? Right, and, uh, right, and right. No many families talk about vacation and the time. I mean, you know, no, never say, oh, my God, they're going to Mexico. Wow, you know, Mexico was a... And, and then the friend, I remember in the story, the friend is saying, oh, bring me photos of the bureau. And their brother said, no, the bureau are from London, not from Mexico, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it actually the story is about happiness in a way, and uh, of a family who take adventures. I mean, they, and yeah, that's what I was. Uh, that book is called After because uh, before and after, right? You know, you are in between what. So, what is there? A, is there an after, really? So, mm. uh, so the story is about families, actually. It's a family and uh, an adventure. Yeah, that the father is crazy. The father is like, let's go, right? <laughs> yeah. Even the mother is pregnant and all that. Yeah. Right. Altagracia said the day of her wedding, you should know this. I'm happy that people have been confused about my names. Why was that? Well, because the mother, I think in the character, the mother is happy to be confused because, and actually, uh, that, that, okay, first of all, I'll tell you why I wrote that story, because I think, it, I don't know, but uh, any Salvadorian I have met, they have problems with their names, okay? Issues with <laughs> their names. They, or they were born with that, but, you know, they were uh, all these names and, and uh, dates of birth. They're like, oh, I had two births because, yeah, uh, yeah. So, you know, that kind of stuff. So they never really. So the mother really doesn't like Maria. Mm-hmm. The name of Maria Rosa, because she says so cumbia and the men and all that kind of stuff. And I think the whole thing that Maria brings about being the good girl and all that. So she is happy to be that is confused. That's it, the whole idea. It's about names, but it's about the the that what names brings no mm-hmm. what they carry yeah yeah and i guess the mother didn't like the name right <laughs> alta gracia yes yeah. well she does she put herself alta gracia yes that's what she chose for herself she chose in her, in her own but in the birth certificate not like that yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> It's all about these names. I mean, that I I met. I mean, like, oh, but my name is this. But you know, the birth certificate is that. Right. Yes, that is true about birth certificates. Like, my mom has two birthdays because it's like her real birthday, and then what it says on her birth certificate, which is different. It's like a week later. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And whoever they send, if they send the father, he confused the 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 day or something. Yeah. But this story about Altagracia starts the way, but it, it is about colonialism also. Yeah, it's about living in the places that the, the mother, the grandmother, the mother, they live all in colonial towns, you know, La mm-hmm. Colonia, they, they call and they work for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A theme in many of the stories is the normalization of misogyny and homophobia. Were those passages difficult to write? Some of them, yes, but I ne- like I said when I started writing this book, I never thought in those terms. You just you know, miso- I just wrote you. the story. I just wrote the stories. I create the characters. I remember the stories. I remember the place I I, I live. I remember those this character from there and all that. But I never thought in this those terms of misogyny or that. No, I was just writing the stories. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm glad. I mean that I I. 
this is the kind of thing that has come in the story from people who have read it or or student, you know, that yeah. thing of misogyny. Yeah. Yeah. Who is El San Martin de Porres and what does he represent? So Martin de Porres is a black saint. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. I didn't know about this. Oh, no? No. It's a black saint. And, you know, that's interesting because many people have the San Martin de Porres in their homes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's a black saint and... Uh, and the, the, the girl, yeah, and the character, she takes it as uh, something that is uh, evil. That The father talks, is, that, that, you know, even the stepfather talks about that it's an evil and all that. Mm-hmm. But it's all about San Martin de Porre is a black saint, mm-hmm. okay. which is interesting, yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially because I think El Salvador has tried to, de- like the government has denied the presence of Afro-Salvadorians. So, yeah, I, I think it's interesting that there is that, but then there's also the preservation of that history through things like this saint. Yes, exactly. But I remember that this is something that it come out from the United States, from here, from the diaspora, right? Oh. To talk about that there, that the Black has been uh, yeah, negated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before that, no one uh, talked about that when I was there. I mean, everybody is, you know, I, in my family, I have, black um, you know like my color I'm very mm-hmm. white I think but it's good to discuss that because it's true I mean it's about you know what is going on yeah and it's something that I started here I think mostly that to speak about uh-huh yeah that's very interesting mm-hmm. why did you choose to end with the after chapter in that way and you said like you know it's it's titled after and you said also well, you know what what does after really mean so I felt like that was really that question was really prominent throughout the last chapter. The last chapter? Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, the, okay, so there is a story about why I call after, yeah. When I was uh, at the writing classes at UCLA, mm-hmm. I had to write a story, and I wrote after. And it was the first story, actually, 1998, that they published the story. Oh, I sent cool. it to... to like a, there were like a, so many, univer- you know, it was a student uh, anthology from different universities around the United States. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, maybe I should send it. I mean, I was not very sure. But, you know, I guess we Salvadorians are very, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, like uh, whatever, we, we should send it, you know. Yeah. And, um, and I sent the story. I sent two stories. I sent the Alma about for Sunday afternoon and also uh, the after. And they took after. I think if we haven't been for that story that was published in an anthology mm-hmm. and, it, and they only took a hundred writers, students, writers, I think I would have never written the book. Maybe I was, really? you know what, maybe, yeah. But the, the, that story was published from there. I was, oh, wow, yeah, okay. So maybe, yeah, they, they listen to me, you know, they hear it, yeah. So after for me, it is kind of a story that, that contains all the other stories, the mm. outcome mm-hmm. of the older stories, right? Because the I wrote that those stories, you know, I was going, to, I was thinking about a novel, a novel into stories, right? You know, but when I was uh, editing and I sent it to the editors and all that, they go like, you know what, these stories are stories, it's not a novel. And I'm like, yeah, but the character is, you know, link everybody and say, no, it's a story. So you should just keep it as a story because they stand by themselves. And if the people read it, the whole book, 
they feel like they have visited a community or a country. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if they can true. read just one, you know, they can get, and I say, okay, I say, so my point was to link the character all the way to until yeah. the little girl. And it's when she's a teenager, she's out, right? She's everything, all, all her, you know, life community is uh, fragmented. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's what the after for me is because it is after the days of Archbishop Monsignor Romero, after the end of the school, after this, after that, after the, the immigration, after that, that, you know, it's a, it's a kind of uh, your, your, life, the life around everyone else. I mean, it's destroying. It's, it's uh, fragmented and everybody's living here and there, right? Yeah. So that was that was my, that's what I put it at the end. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me. Those are all the questions that I had about your book. I end the podcast by asking what is something that is inspiring you lately? Something that is inspiring me lately is mm-hmm. um, uh, I think I have seen a lot of uh, new writers. I mean, in El Salvador and Latin America here, yeah. new people, mm-hmm. new women, actually, mm. new wi- women, women are really, really writing now, mm-hmm. young women. And um, and I think that makes me feel very happy because when I was writing this book, especially Latin America here in the United States, I mean, mm-hmm. um, Central America. Mm-hmm. And like today, I, I'm going to go to Beyond Baroque to listen to uh, Solito. Yes. Zamora, yes. Right? Yes. And uh, so you know, I'm like, oh wow, I don't feel alone. Yes, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I don't feel alone because when I was writing all this, it was the ninety early nineties, and the nineties for me was like, oh my god, I'm an immigrant. I mean, I was coming yeah. from Canada from exile. I arrived here, and that was. Not, I mean, it was bearing. I mean, it was like, oh my, there's nothing. So <laughs> now I feel like uh, there is a community. You know, there are other people writing, and I hope, I hope that, and I hope, and I think it's happening that we all kind of connect and uh, find solidarity in ourselves, in art, in the writing, and the words. You know, that we can help each other. Yeah. Yeah. Because for me, I love that's that. yeah, for me, that's, that's it. And enjoy what you're doing, writing. I mean, um, and I hope that people is responsible for what they're writing. And otherwise, you know, what's the point to write? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's true. It's about that. other people. Yeah. Yeah. Other exactly. people reading it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about me. Oh, Caroline is here and there. No, it's about, you know, disseminating what we know and yeah. share with the people uh-huh yeah and i'm glad you are the person who also i mean here talking to you <laughs> inspire me to continue Aww. because you're from el salvador right your parents, parents from yeah. i grew your up parents. in the, yeah i grew up in the bay area beautiful i mean congratulations <laughs> you you i mean you are one of the person that inspire me and you get the book you do yes <laughs> Oh, my yeah, God, thank you. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love you that. Got it. Yeah, you get you get the stories. I mean, talking to you is almost like, uh, yeah, you know, oh, she got it. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you are my inspiration. Oh, yeah. thank you so much. Mm-hmm. That's so sweet. And I hope to have you back on the podcast again to talk about your next book. Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> thank you very much. And thank, uh, you. thank you for, for putting me here. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye.